Welcome to Radar Contact, the audio show that teaches pilots how to speak professionally and with confidence to air traffic control. And now, here's your host, airline pilot, author, and host of ATCCommunication.com, Jeff Canarish. Today's show is comprised entirely of answers to questions I get from pilots who listen to the show and visit ATCCommunication.com. And I'm telling you this because I want you to feel free to contact me anytime with your questions and comments. I'll tell you about all of the different ways you can reach me at the end of the show. Now, by way of introduction to our first question, I wanted to provide a little bit of background on how technology is supplanting or replacing the information we get by talking to actual human beings over the radio. Thanks to commercially available and government-provided free digital information services, It's now possible to get pre-flight weather briefings and real-time in-flight weather updates straight to your computer tablet. With the right interface, you can even get Nexus weather radar displays in near real-time right on your iPad or other tablet. Many pilots feel with the right digital interface on board the need to contact a flight service station on the radio and talk to a flight service station has become irrelevant. In the age of digital weather products, live communication on the radio may seem like, well, old school, if not altogether backward. With this in mind, here's a question I just received from a pilot named Steve who told me he has 200 hours of general aviation flying experience. His opening statement reveals how digital weather services have replaced radio contact with flight service. Here's what he says. What the heck is flight service? I mean, I know what it is, but I don't really know how to use it. The other day, I was on a cross-country flight in California and needed my destination's current weather before my radio could pick up ATIS. I tried calling on the frequency for a nearby VOR station with no luck. I was on with Oakland Center for flight following, and she was kind enough to give me the METAR when I asked. I would rather do it right, though. And then he asked me, can you please explain on your show how to do this? I cover this topic, though, in great detail in my book, Radio Mastery for VFR Pilots. I won't have the time in this show to go through the topic in as great detail as described in the book. That said, here's an overview of how to get in contact with a flight service station while airborne. Your first step in making radio contact is to coordinate with air traffic control before leaving their frequency. And, of course, this assumes you were in contact with an ATC agency, such as Oakland Center, as Steve was in the example he gave to me. If you leave Oakland Center's frequency or any ATC frequency to talk to flight service without first coordinating with your controller, you're going to cause a problem for the controller. Wait a second. Before I go any further, you might be thinking, if I have two communication radios in my airplane, why not stay in contact with ATC on one radio and use the other radio to get in contact with flight service? Well, my response is, Have you ever tried doing that? Working two separate radio frequencies at the same time is extremely difficult, and I might even be understating it by putting it that way. If the ATC frequency is very busy, I can guarantee you you will miss radio calls from ATC while actively engaged in conversation with flight service on the other radio. Even if you happen to hear ATC call while you are talking to flight service, it can be very confusing deciphering who is talking to you and on which frequency that call is coming in. Then there's the whole juggling act of switching your transmit circuit back and forth 
between Radio 1 and Radio 2 to make sure your voice is going out to the correct party. Trust me when I say from years of experience, working two radio frequencies at the same time is a horrible idea. I strongly recommend when in contact with ATC that you request permission to leave the controller's frequency for a period of time and then switch to and work with flight service as your only responsibility on the radio. Now, everything I'm talking about is technique. You aren't required to follow anyone's technique on the radio. I just offer you my techniques because I know they work well for me. So here we go. Back to our story. How do you request a break from ATC to talk flight service? Well, here's an example. Skyhawk 30 Delta, request off frequency for five minutes. Skyhawk 30 Delta, frequency change approved. Report back this frequency in five minutes. All right, a couple explanations here. The correct phraseology for leaving any frequency is request off frequency. You also want to tell the controller how long you want to be off of his frequency. This allows the controller to look ahead in time and see where you'll be in five minutes. It may be, for example, that five minutes from now, your aircraft's speed and direction will put you in another controller's sector. In that case, you'll hear the controller respond like this. Skyhawk 30 Delta, frequency change approved. When you return, contact Oakland Center on 133.5. Of course, you'd acknowledge that instruction knowing you'll be talking to a new controller when you complete your five-minute interval away from ATC. A controller will also use your time request to look ahead and check for any traffic alerts. If traffic may cross your path during your requested interval, the controller may say something like this. Skyhawk 30 Delta, before you go, watch for traffic. You're 1 o'clock and 1.5 miles opposite direction of PA 34 at 5,500. Frequency change approved. Report back in 5 minutes. Okay, that's how to leave ATC's frequency. Oh, and where did I come up with 5 minutes? I think 5 minutes allows you enough time to leave ATC's frequency, get in contact with flight service, get the information you need, and return to ATC. If you think you'll need more time to complete your business with flight service, don't be afraid to ask for a longer interval. If ATC approves the interval you request and you complete your transaction with flight service in less time, there's nothing that says you can't return to ATC sooner. So, you've gotten approval to go off frequency. Now, how to contact flight service. First, you have to find a suitable frequency for flight service. The quickest way to do this is reference a navigation chart for the area in which you're flying. Find the nearest nav aid, usually a Vortac, and look at the identifier box for that nav aid. Above the identifier box, you will see either a single frequency or a series of frequencies in bold blue color. Tune in one of those frequencies on your comm radio. The name of the flight service station will be in brackets. For example, the Salinas Vortac near Monterey, California shows a frequency of 122.6 above the box, and the name in brackets below the identifier box indicate the name of the flight service station is Oakland. When making initial contact with any flight service, the call sign of the station is the name below the NAVAID box plus the word radio. In our example, we would contact Oakland Radio. We would also indicate the frequency we are using to make contact, in this case 122.6. Well, why do we do that? Every flight service station handles many different frequencies connected to hundreds of different radio antenna spread out across hundreds of square miles. By stating the frequency you're using in your initial radio contact, 
you help the agent at the flight service stations select the correct antenna and frequency to reach you. So, for example, your initial contact would sound like this. Oakland Radio Skyhawk 9130 Delta on 122.6. The station agent will answer, Skyhawk 9130 Delta, Oakland Radio, go ahead. Or, if the agent was busy with other tasks and heard your call, but did not register your call sign, he may answer, Aircraft calling Oakland Radio on 122.6, say your call sign and your request. Either way, once flight service is answered, give the agent your call sign again, your aircraft type, your position, and your request. It might, as an example, sound like this. Skyhawk 9130 Delta is a Cessna 172, 30 miles southeast of the Salinas Vortac at 6,500. Request current and forecast weather for the Sonoma County Airport. The flight service agent would then relay the requested information. The agent may then request a pilot report on your current conditions, asking, do you have time for a pilot report? If you have the time, give the agent your report. If not, politely decline and sign off. There is not really a formal or established way to sign off a flight service frequency. I generally say that's all I need. Thank you for your help, Skyhawk 9130 Delta. The agent would then sign off as well. At that point, if you were previously in touch with ATC, Return to your last assigned frequency and check back in. Oakland Center, Skyhawk 9130 Delta, back on your frequency. One other note before we wrap this up. Some flight service station antenna are connected to a radio receiver, but not to a transmitter. These are called receive only. Almost always, when flight service has a receive only setup, it will use the frequency 122.1. You'll note the frequency is receive only when there is a bold letter R after the frequency on your navigation chart. For example, 122.1 R. If this is the only frequency available in the area in which you are flying, talk to flight service on that frequency. Remember, the R means flight service receives your radio call on that frequency. To hear flight service's response, listen on the NAVAID frequency in the identifier box you use to find flight service station frequency. For example, let's say you looked at the identifier box for the Modesto VORDME NAVAID. You see the only flight service frequency listed above Modesto's identifier box is 122.1R. So therefore, you would talk to flight service on 122.1 and listen for the response on the Modesto NAVAID frequency of 114.6. Well, this setup requires some fancy button pushing on your part. How you set up the radios depends on the make and model of radios you're using. As a generic explanation, when transmitting on 122.1 and listening on a NAVAID frequency, make sure your radio transmit selector is set to transmit on the COM radio using 122.1. Make sure your radio headset listen button is set to listen on the navigation radio tuned to the NAVAID frequency used to receive flight service station communications. Almost all NAVAIDs transmit their letter identifier in Morse code on their frequency. Listening to the identifying dits and dahs of Morse code in the background of voice transmissions from flight service can be annoying and distracting. Hopefully, your radio setup has a filter switch that lets you select whether you hear a NAVAID's identifier, its voice capability, or both. If your radios have this filter, select voice only for the NAVAID 
to hear flight services transmissions without the NAVAID's identifier beeping in the background. That's it, and believe it or not, there's more to communication with flight service than I've covered here. The full details are in my book, Radio Mastery for VFR Pilots. If you don't have your own copy, you can pick one up in print or as a Kindle book at Amazon.com. A link to both editions are in the left-hand margin of any page at my website, atccommunication.com. Thank you to Steve for asking this question, and here's the next question. And this one comes from pilot Andrew Ward, who asked me if I have any tips for working VFR in an uncontrolled airport pattern that's also used by pilots flying IFR, particularly pilots who are in training to receive their IFR rating. Your situational awareness and safety would be enhanced by knowing where to look for aircraft arriving and departing the airport under IFR. First, is there anything you can detect by listening to the radio that will tell you whether an aircraft in the pattern is operating under IFR? Well, it depends. Pilots departing under IFR from an uncontrolled airport will use the exact same phraseology as pilots departing VFR. Frankly, this doesn't matter. If you know where the departure begins, which of course is on the runway, and the pilot states his intended direction of departure to the northwest, for example, simply clear for that aircraft as you would any departing VFR aircraft. Bear in mind, aircraft departing IFR may exit the pattern via any path, and this is commonly referred to as a random departure. So, for example, an aircraft departing IFR from runway 33 will likely continue straight out for a period on a heading of 330 degrees or thereabouts. But not always. Again, listen to the radio for the statement from the pilot regarding which direction he'll be departing. In particular, pilots practicing IFR may want to immediately return to the airport for practice instrument approaches. Often, those pilots will make a turn to crosswind shortly after takeoff. Don't expect pilots practicing instrument approaches at an uncontrolled airport to fly the same rectangular pattern as VFR pilots. Usually, a pilot practicing multiple instrument approaches will maneuver around the airport in a rectangular pattern that is significantly larger in both lateral dimension and higher in altitude than the published VFR pattern for that airport. Essentially, a pilot practicing IFR will depart the airport pattern fly an elongated pattern of his own outside of the standard airport area, and then re-enter the pattern via, lo via a long straighten approach. The long straighten is where you are most likely to encounter or cross paths with an airplane on an instrument approach. Most IFR final approaches begin 5 to 15 miles outside of the VFR traffic pattern and track along paths that align with or are slightly angled to the final approach heading for the active runway. For example, again using runway 33, expect an IFR flight to line up with the runway 5 to 15 miles out and continue inbound to the runway then on a path that aligns with the final approach heading approximately 330 degrees. I say approximately because while some instrument approaches align exactly with the runway's heading, other instrument approaches called non-precision approaches guide the pilot to the runway along a path that may be offset from the runway by almost any angle. And we'll talk about those in a moment. Instrument approaches called precision approaches 
are usually aligned exactly with the runway's heading. An IFR flight is subject to the same flight path deviations you struggle with <laughs> when attempting to line up with the runway. So if you're clearing for IFR traffic inbound to the airport on an ILS approach, it would not be unusual to spot that airplane flying to the right or left of the expected ILS final approach path. In fact, I would almost guarantee you you'll see IFR flights inbound on an ILS maneuvering left and right of the final approach course in an effort to deal with shifting winds. Also, how well a pilot tracks on the center line of any instrument approach will vary with that pilot's skill level. Another feature of precision approaches is they lead a pilot to the runway along a constant glide path. Most precision approaches use a 3 to 1 glide path angle. That is, the glide path angle descends 300 feet for every mile of distance traveled. Using this knowledge, you can forecast an airplane on a precision final approach 5 miles from the runway threshold will be 300 feet times 5 or 1,500 feet above the airport elevation. Some precision glide paths vary from this formula, but for someone who's clearing for IFR traffic, the 3 to 1 rule for altitude works in most circumstances. Non-precision approaches are exactly what they sound like. They lead a pilot to the runway along a path that may not be precisely aligned with the runway. Further, most non-precision approaches do not prescribe a constant glide path to the runway. However, onboard instrumentation may calculate a constant glide path for a pilot to follow as he proceeds inbound on a non-precision approach. Well, what this means for you, a pilot clearing for an aircraft on a non-precision approach is, there is no way to precisely know what altitude the pilot will be at any given distance from the runway. Okay, let's sort all this out so you have something usable to work with when mixing it up with IFR aircraft in an uncontrolled airport pattern. Earlier, I said it's not possible to know whether an airplane is departing an uncontrolled airport under IFR. I also said it doesn't really matter. Not so with IFR arriving aircraft. It is possible to know what they're doing, and it does matter. A pilot inbound to the airport under IFR will announce his IFR status on the radio by different means. To recognize an IFR arrival and clear for that aircraft, you just have to know what clues to listen for on the radio. First, know that most arriving IFR craft are working on an ATC frequency as they near the airport. ATC will likely be giving these aircraft precise altitude and heading clearances to line them up to intercept the beginning of an instrument approach. And depending on the circumstances, ATC will either keep control of the IFR flight until it is lined up on final approach or the controller will release the flight to proceed to the beginning of the instrument approach via the pilot's own onboard navigation equipment. The point is, in most cases, you won't hear anything on the radio about an inbound IFR flight until that flight is within 5 to 10 miles of the airport. A wise pilot flying IFR into an uncontrolled airport will get on that airport's Unicom or other common traffic advisory frequency and announces position while still 15 to 30 miles out from the airport. Generally, the faster the aircraft, the earlier this announcement will occur. However, realize there is no requirement to make an early announcement like this one IFR. It's just good airmanship, but not all pilots use the technique. Your first heads up might be highly variable depending on the instrument approach being flown and the workload, training, and experience of pilot making the position report. 
In a perfect world, you might hear this early radio announcement. Edgerton traffic, citation 448 Kilo X-ray, 30 miles southeast of the airport, inbound for the ILS, runway 33, full stop, Edgerton. You might also get a clue on the radio you're about to have IFR company if you hear something like this. First in radio, Malibu 7291 Echo, 25 miles southeast, inbound for landing, request an airport advisory. Most likely, you'll hear your first true position report from an IFR flight shortly after ATC releases the flight to the common traffic advisory frequency. Again, where and when the IFR pilot makes his first report depends on his workload, training, and experience. In a perfect world, he might hear this. Fenway traffic, Cheyenne 610, Hotel Papa, 10 miles southwest, 3000, ILS inbound, runway 7 full stop, Fenway. Bingo! Now that's a full disclosure. Where are you clearing for that traffic? 10 miles southwest, 3,000 feet, aligned with the final approach path for runway 7. How about this less than stellar radio call? Fenway traffic, oxymoron 456, Foxtrot Yankee, 5 miles, runway 7, full stop, Fenway. Where are you looking for that guy? Well, you might think on a 5-mile final, straight in, but really it depends. Likely that pilot, who for some reason is holding his cards close to his chest, is lined up with runway 5, 5 miles out, probably at 1,500 feet above the airport elevation, if we use our 3 to 1 rules for altitude. But not so fast, right? Remember I said there are non-precision approaches that lead a pilot to the runway from almost any direction and at varying glide paths. This I've-got-a-secret pilot may be approaching the airport from any angle and any altitude. So, what defense do you have against a vague radio call like this? It depends on how prepared you want to be. If you use the same airport all the time for your VFR pattern work, it would pay to spend a few minutes getting familiar with the different instrument approaches that serve that airport. As an example, let's say the airport you use has an ILS to runway 33 and a VOR approach to the opposite end, runway 15. You know the ILS is a precision approach, so its final approach course aligns with the runway heading of 332 degrees. Even if you don't know where to find the glide path angle for this particular procedure, if you simply plug in the 3 to 1 rule for altitude on a precision approach, you know to clear for traffic in increments of 300 feet above airport elevation for every mile a pilot announces he is from the airport. Now, for the VOR approach, take a look at the overhead view of the approach procedure. And by the way, you may find free diagrams of instrument approaches for any U.S. airport online at skyvector.com. That's skyvector.com. Note the final approach course for the approach in question. Look at the side view, also called the profile view of the procedure, and note the altitude requirements at fixed distances from the runway. Finally, it pays to know the names of the points on the instrument approach procedures to your airport that are called Final Approach Fixes. Final Approach Fixes are the reference points on an instrument approach that mark the beginning of, what else? The Final Approach. Think of a Final Approach Fix as a reporting point similar to named reporting points for pilots inbound to any airport when VFR. When you hear a pilot announce the name of a Final Approach Fix and you know from prior study of an instrument approach chart that fixes, for example, five miles from the runway, 
you'll know exactly where to look for that traffic. For example, a pilot announces Learjet 835 Lima Victor, DMOX inbound, runway 15, full stop. If you look at the VOR approach chart and saw that the final approach fix was named DMOX, D-E-M-O-X, you would note the fix was six miles from the runway. You would also note the at or above altitude at DMOX was 2,200 MSL. Now you know exactly where to look for Learjet A35 Lima Victor, six miles from the runway at 2,200 feet MSL. The last point I want to make is because many non-precision approaches do not lead straight into a runway, a pilot inbound on one of those approaches may have to do quite a bit of maneuvering during the transition from the instrument approach to lining up with the runway and visual conditions. If the final approach course brings the airplane in at more than a 30-degree angle from the runway's heading, usually the pilot will have to do something called a circling maneuver to line up with the runway. A circling maneuver may be anything from a slight S-turn maneuver to line up, or it may involve something that looks like a downwind entry into the VFR pattern. When clearing for IFR traffic, listen for the telltale clue that includes the phrase, circle to land. For example, you might hear a radio call that sounds like this. Bird dog traffic, run amok 545 India Zulu, inbound on the VOR Alpha, circle to land, runway 21, bird dog. Again, knowing something about what instrument approaches are available for your airport that you're using and how they lead a pilot into an airport traffic pattern will help you spot inbound IFR traffic. Before we wrap this up, I have one more bit of information, and I hope it won't confuse you because we've already talked a long time and it's a pretty weighty topic. While we're all familiar with the term final approach, some instrument approaches have a procedure which a pilot may use to guide him to the final approach. Remember I said earlier ATC may provide headings and altitudes to guide a pilot to the final approach course? Well, there are circumstances, and they occur most often in uncontrolled airports, where ATC may release a pilot early to navigate to the final approach course using his own onboard navigation equipment. Now, there are many variations on how a pilot may navigate to a final approach. Pilots may navigate by, uh, by an instrument approach segment that resembles a base leg or a dog leg to final approach. And there are some procedures that resemble the racetrack pattern of a holding pattern. Still others resemble teardrop patterns. You know, there's a whole bunch of ways that pilots can get in the final approach. And here's how this is relevant to you when you're flying VFR in an uncontrolled pattern. Depending upon when a pilot joins the common traffic advisory frequency, you may hear him announce his position and use the word outbound. What this means, what outbound means, is he's established on an instrument approach, but he is currently heading away or outbound from the airport in a maneuver that will eventually line up his airplane with final approach. Not to worry, though, when you hear a pilot announce outbound, he is almost always outside the outer limit of the normal VFR pattern and usually above VFR traffic pattern altitude. So when you hear outbound on the radio, Note that there's another airplane outside of the pattern that will shortly be inbound. Expect another radio call in the very near future that indicates that the aircraft is now headed towards the pattern, usually on final approach. That is the long, <laughs> very long explanation 
of how to use the radio to clear for IFR traffic circulating in and out of an uncontrolled airport pattern. Use the radio to guide your eyes. Get familiar with the available instrument approaches that shape the information you hear coming in on the radio at the airport in use. Realize most precision approaches have final approach segments that line up with the runway heading and use a 3 to 1 glide path ratio. Non-precision approaches may or may not line up with the runway, and aircraft on final approach may or may not be descending on a 3 to 1 glide path for the runway. Many pilots will announce on the common traffic advisory frequency before they get close to the VFR pattern, but not all pilots will follow this practice. Expect most pilots to give you a heads up when they are on final approach, usually 5 to 10 miles from landing. Now, how do you adjust your flight path to fit in with IFR traffic? Well, that's another topic that's entirely outside of the purview of the Radar Contact Show. Besides, I've talked enough. Now it's your turn. Send your questions and comments to me one of three ways. Leave a comment below the show notes for this show at atccommunication.com. Or put a tweet on my timeline at atc underscore jeff at twitter.com or email me directly at jeff at atccommunication.com. Now, if all those addresses went by too quickly for you to copy and you don't feel like rewinding the audio, you can find them in the show notes for this show at atccommunication.com right on the homepage. Well, I've talked enough to fill two shows this time, so I'm going to skip the portion of the show where I normally present your question of the week. Look for that in our next show. I do want to tell you before I sign off that I'm working on an updated version of my book, Radio Mastery for VFR Pilots. Now, I tell you that not to encourage you to wait for the update. If you're in training now or you need complete information on how to communicate with ATC, Flight Service, and other agencies right now, the current version of Radio Mastery for VFR Pilots has everything you need at Amazon.com. The updated version... Frankly, I have absolutely no idea when it's going to be complete. We'll have more background on why we use specific phraseology on the radio. It will contain quotes and viewpoints from air traffic controllers and experienced pilots to give you a broader perspective on how to use the radios. It will have the same solid tips and techniques that are in the current version, and of course, a full explanation of all the FAA's established radio procedures that you can read right now in the current version of Radio Mastery for VFR Pilots. I'll have more information in future shows about when you can expect the updated version to be available at (laughs) Amazon.com as soon as I can figure that one out myself. Music for this show was provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com on a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. If you're flying this week, I hope you have a great time and beautiful weather. I'm Jeff Canarish for ATCCommunication.com saying be well, keep in touch, and fly safe.